This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Today on Dreamland, it's just going to be me. I've had an incredible period of three weeks, beginning with one of the most shocking experiences of my life and ending with a UFO sighting, the first one I have had in years, that was followed by some truly remarkable events, all of which were confirmed in the most improbable possible way. I'm going to get to that. And I'm not alone in this. It's happened, part of it happened to another person as well. Uh, but first, before we go there, I'm going to uh, talk about a little bit about the congressional hearings that were occurred last Tuesday. Very little to us in this community, very little new was said. In fact, almost nothing. But some things new were said. You had to listen closely, and I will uh, get that, uh, uh, explain that shortly. Now, before we... Uh, before we go on, I want to talk a little bit about the hearing. I'm going to be talking about it in ways that you're not you're not going to hear anywhere else. So, don't tune it out. Please listen up because this is the this is Dreamland and it's me. And you're just not going to hear this in this way anywhere else. I'm also going to be talking about a near miss for the website. It was almost destroyed in the context of all of this happening under the most extraordinarily unusual circumstances you can possibly imagine. This apartment has been entered, and I have doubled down on security in the apartment and on the website. We'll get to that in a little while. Uh, there has been a debunking effort uh, from a fellow named, I believe, Sidney Greenstreet of the New York Post, a reporter who specializes in video reporting, who did a disinformation uh, attack, essentially, on the UFO phenomenon by trying to connect uh, Robert Bigelow's interest and and uh, Lou Elizondo's interest and Hal Pudoff's interest in Skinwalker Ranch with their interest in and support of UFO disclosure to kind of tar UFO disclosure with the brush of silly paranormal nonsense. Problem is, paranormal nonsense isn't silly. It is not silly. It is simply un not understood. We don't understand it. And this guy is coming from like 1972, maybe, in terms of his mindset. But I think that the... Department of Defense is a house divided against itself. And if you look at his video, I think you're looking at what the people in it who would like all of this to just go away are saying, want to say. I think that's what that video is about. And I would assume he had some help from some directions. Uh, I know he engaged uh, John Greenwald, whether Greenwald really understood what the video was going to be about or not is another question. But uh, nevertheless, it is a debunking video. But the problem is this. He insinuates 
that because these people were involved in uh, investigating paranormal events, therefore, any UFO investigation they did is tainted by their complete in inability to do effective research. But this is not true. First, the research that was done at the Skinwalker Ranch is excellent. That's number one. Number two, the fact that these people were involved in research at the Skinwalker Ranch has nothing to do at all with the UFO material. I made a comment on his page, on his YouTube page. You, you just uh, Google, uh, go to YouTube and go to Green Street, New York Post UFO, and you'll find the, the, the uh, video and you can watch it. Now, I'm not necessarily defending these guys. I, I mean, I don't know wh whether Green Street is right or wrong in part or in whole. But I do know this. It's an attempt to debunk UFOs by association. Because how can he possibly go to the Tic Tac videos and the Gimbal videos and debunk them? He can't. So he's doing the next best thing, as far as he's concerned, which is uh, sneering by association, I guess you would call it. Anyway, so that's there. Now, let's look a little bit at the uh, congressional hearings, because some very interesting things happened. They happened very quickly. It almost went under the radar, but they were there. For example, the question was asked about the whether how long this has been happening, and it wasn't asked directly. And the impression that they've been giving all along from the beginning, from way back when the uh, Tic Tac videos first started to be talked about, is to the public is that this is all kind of new. They we're just starting to study this. We're just now looking into it. But in this testimony, there was a brief mention of the fact that the military has already, quote, been doing this for decades. And then it was said this will be discussed in the classified briefing. And believe me, folks, I mean, I'm not, I don't have a security clearance. Nobody ever tells me any secrets. But I'm also not dumb. And there is a very big picture here hidden behind the, the, the wall of classification, far bigger than they are implying. They want the public to concentrate on the last few years. But it goes all the way back to the Twining memo, doesn't it, in 1947, when he discussed in detail the flight characteristics of UFOs exactly as they appear in the gimbal and Tic Tac videos all these years later. The same flight characteristics. So this has been going on for at least 70 years. Uh, General Exxon told me in 1988 that he was still returning to write Pat to consult with the scientific team and for an interesting reason, he said this was so secret 
that we didn't put a lot of it down on paper. And this is going to prove to be a real problem because a great deal of this material, which has not been offloaded to the uh, private sector in order to avoid the Freedom of Information Act, and a lot of things can lawfully be offloaded, but not all. So there are certainly some major smoking guns behind the wall of classification still. But in any case, uh, the, this material these is, it, it was so secret. They, didn't, they did not put a lot of it down in writing. So a lot of it has automatically been lost as these guys died. As these guys died. I mean, God knows what General Exon took to his grave. He's told people that he held one of the bodies and it was like a big insect. Now, he <laughs> didn't tell me that, but he told others that, as far as I understand. And my uncle, Nicky, certainly held the materials, and that was back in 1947. Believe you me, a lot has been done since then. The little piece of material I have in this office is layered bismuth and magnesium. And between the layers, there's just empty space. So how do they hold together? The part of this that Linda Howe sold to TTSA is supposedly under study by an, a, an army, U.S. Army laboratory. And what I've heard about it is so far that it's being found to be very unusual and anomalous. So that, that, and that's just a couple of little scraps, a whole lot of stuff, enough to put it in a bomber and take it in, it, 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 use a bomber as a cargo carrier to take it from uh, Roswell to Wright Field. So there was a lot of material, believe me. The little scraps we have are almost probably entirely meaningless. Now, uh, both men admitted essentially that what was being seen now is of unknown origin. And there was a very interesting little video of, a, of something moving at breakneck speed that was, I've seen other videos of this kind of thing where it's moving at what, if you measure it, turns out to be like 80,000 miles an hour. And uh, amazing speeds, especially in the atmosphere, because they, there's no obviously no atmospheric friction involved, or they would burn up to a crisp. Um, to get put that in perspective, that's about four times faster than uh, an, an, a high-speed asteroid would be running hitting the Earth, and far faster than the fastest hypersonic missile we have ever developed. All right, now, to ground this a little bit, we can't forget that um, National Intelligence Director Averill Haynes admitted in November of 2021 that aliens might be behind some of the devices that have been tracked by the military. That was a big admission, big admission. It went almost entirely unremarked because people are in our world People are waiting for the big reveal that they finally open the curtains and there stand three guys from the Pleiades, a couple of reptilians, and a whole bunch of greys. It's not going to happen that way. It's not, not at all. 
and and if what happened to me over the past uh, uh, three weeks is any example of what will happen, then boy, is it going to be different from what people are expecting. But I'll get into that. I'm going to go through it in great detail. I'm not going to hold anything back because this is not the time to keep secrets. And God knows, especially not for someone who isn't legally required to do so. And I'm not. So, uh, and, and, you know, again, I've heard things over in over the years that I've thought might be official secrets. And I don't really talk about them because I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to upset the apple cart. I've never heard anything essential that I don't talk about. Never. And I never would. But I keep, I sort of keep my own counsel about a few things. And it's largely because they're very strange. And since it's somewhat something told to me and something, not something I experienced, I don't have a lot to say about it. Okay. Now, the, Na the National Defense Threat Assessment was promulgated last fall, and that is the word threat in there troubled me, as I said at the time, because if this is all deemed a threat, then what about those of us who are involved with it? Because there are people involved with it who are really loving it. And I'm, I'm a very mixed bag in, in my context. It's a very mixed bag. I have a lot, gained a lot of knowledge from it. I have a solid relationship with some aspects of it. And as you'll hear a little later, there are other aspects of it that I don't think are too, too friendly to us. So uh, I, I'm in the worst possible position if you want to be popular, because either you got to say it's demons, they're evil, this is dark, or it's angels, they're wonderful, this is light. But what you can't do is say, it might be some of both, and they might be all mixed up together. And this is going to be real hard to figure out. That'll cause a lot, a lot of people to tune out your podcast, PDQ, and your website, and your entire life, and your books, and all of it. So there you have it. Uh, now, if, where are we? right now? And where is this likely to go? Well, when you hear what's happened to me, you're going to wonder, just like I do, where this is likely to go, because it's going somewhere now, surely, and and and, and probably very dramatically. Maybe at last, or maybe we shouldn't, we should watch out what we wish for. Um, now, Moultrick said something very interesting and again, it was just passed quickly. He said that if hostile intent is determined, then he would, there would be mitigation of the threat. Now, the word mitigation is a, is a, uh, uh, a way of, not saying that we're going to come out shooting. But in fact, it, that's what it means. Mitigation means suppressing the threat. And if you're face to face with a threat, aren't you going to have to suppress it with violence? I mean, I somehow don't think 
that we're going to send special forces guys out there dancing in hula, hula hula costumes to try to placate the visitors. The days when we used to placate the gods are long gone in the past. We know what's there now. We're not uh, making that mistake again anymore, most of us. And uh, mitigation means conflict. And what's fascinating about this is someone at his level does not say something like that unless they have a reason to believe that they can in, engage in mitigation successfully. Now, if you read A New World, I speculate in it that the visitors would want us to have weapons that could uh, uh, successfully resist them, or at least give us the belief that we could, they could successfully resist them, because this empowers us and means that cultural colonization is less likely to destroy our society. And cultural colonization, for those of you who haven't read A New World, is a very important factor here. Uh, when the Spaniards went to uh, South America and Mexico, they enacted cultural colonization of the most aggressive kind. They took one look around and decided our culture is a lot better than the culture that these people have, and we're just going to beat them up until they do as we say. And that's exactly what they did. The British and French and Dutch were more subtle in that they went into their colonies to exploit the wealth of the colonies and bring it home. And they engaged with the local uh, political systems much more, much more carefully and therefore also with the culture. So they didn't just push the cultures aside, but they did make people feel disempowered. And boy, when the U.S. Air Force ended up in places like New Guinea, and all of a sudden these very primitive people saw other human beings with unbelievable wealth. They were really disempowered. So in part, I hope, I don't think, I hope that the secrecy of the visitors is about not disempowering us through cultural colonization. Now, except for that one brief statement that the classified briefing would go into more details. Also, uh, in the, they, uh, with regard to mitigation, um, there was also a brief statement when asked about the materials, sort of off, immediately avoided, that would suggest that this is also classified. Now, I have heard from people who might or might not be in the position to know, because one of the things that happens with stuff like this is people's egos get engaged, and when they have access to secrets, or maybe even if they don't, they want to make you think they do, so you'll think they're cool and listen to them and look up to them and so on and so forth. Now, we have people who are, have access to real secrets here on Dreamland all the time. I mean, Jim, Jim Semivan had a two-day briefing about this stuff, but I didn't press him for what was in it because it's not. I'm not going to do that. Absolutely not going to do it. Uh, uh, the reason being that he can't say, but he's got a lot of other fascinating things to say 
and so do other people who have classified material uh, under their belts who come on this show. They can be comfortable coming on the show because they know I'm not going to press them to say things that will get them in trouble or that they shouldn't say. It's legally impossible for them to say. And so they open up about all kinds of cool stuff, which is exactly what Jim did. Anyway, he was also very helpful to me after the hack on the website and the intrusion into my apartment occurred because, uh, you know, he was a specialist in, uh, in, in helping other CIA officers who were out in the field, uh, protect themselves and, and maintain their own personal security. So, um, actually we desperately need something here. We need a history of the phenomenon, a really good one. And I think it's probable that someone is going to come along who will get access to low level classified material or material that's been, and there's a lot of this, I suspect that's been hidden away, but was not classified and will write a real history of our world's relationship to the UFO phenomenon. A great investigative reporter could do a dynamite job on this. And then he would be able to lean back and put his feet up for the rest of his life and spend his life at Khan and Ibiza because he would make a fortune beyond belief. Beyond belief. Um, so we need that. We need an official history. And I know some investigative reporters watch this show. And guys, I'm giving you an idea. I do run with it because you could do very well with it. All right. Now, uh, this could be done without disturbing classified material uh, because there's a lot of stuff, as I said a moment ago, that's secret, that's secret, but not uh, hidden. And I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, excuse me, it's hidden, but not secret. And they're very good at these, these uh, outfits are very, very good at doing that kind of thing. Now, what I want to do is I want to change gears a little bit I talked for a while, a while back, about mitigation. Well, has that already happened? Yeah, I think we've tried to do that a lot for a long time, and we've had a little trouble. We are in a war with these guys. We have been for a long time. And I have to tell you that one of the things that one person who I think really was a blonde, really was from another world, said to me back in the early days, back right after Communion was published, he said that you must never start a war with the Greys because they will never let you win and they will never let you stop fighting. And from what I know of them, that could very well be true. Um, they have the darkest, most sardonic sense of humor I've ever known, but, but it's there. And, and anyone with even a slight sense of humor, there's some chance in some way we may be able to work with them. But, uh, I'm going to talk in a little while, while also about Stockholm syndrome and the experiences and close encounter witnesses and what we need to watch out for 
because that is a danger. But now I want to go to back to the idea of have we been shooting at them and what was the result of that? Dr. Gary Nolan, who has been a friend for some years now, will be on Dreamland in a few weeks uh, to discuss in depth the work that he's been doing on the brains of close encounter witnesses and also on the brains of people who've been injured in UFO experiences, and that has happened. Uh, specifically, what seems to happen is a type of demyelinization, that is to say the myelin sheath on the, around the nerves is destroyed, something like Havana syndrome, but with a different uh, locomotion in the sense that it's apparently an, a type of electromagnetic energy that does it. The people have basically been too close to UFOs. And and, and the close encounter witnesses, it's been found that the uh, striatum, which is an, a, an area of executive function in the brain, which means that it's an area which is assembling and transporting information around and where you're forming your thoughts and forming your impressions of uh, of the imagery that's coming in optically and all of your sensory impressions. It's, this part is all has to do with it. Um, some close encounter witnesses and psychics have very dense material in this area between two parts of the striatum, the caudate and the putamen, and they haven't proved anything yet, but they're working to see whether or not this gives them certain certain abilities. My brain has also been analyzed, and oddly enough, while the the um, density of the matter of the nerves between the two areas is high normal, as Dr. Kit Green, who examined my MRI, said uh, that basically never in his entire experience had he seen connections that that were built like mine. It's totally unique. And at one point in in an article that is in, on Vice, he just go up to Google and and uh, uh, input Vice V I C E and then Gary Doctor Gary Nolan, two R's, and you'll be able to read it. Uh, at one point, uh, he comments about the strangeness of this stuff, and he says that one of his MRI scans indicates that the person was born like this. And I wonder about that in my case, because we don't, of course, I go back so far at this point. I go back for way before MRI scans existed. Um, but one of the things I mentioned in communion is the fact that I, um, I had, um, uh, Back when I was a child, a, a fireball appeared in our back lot the, where we were we were sleeping out. Me and my sister and some other kids were sleeping out, and a fireball appeared in the back lot and went through went across the at at at. I remember it as being virtually at almost ground level. It was absolutely terrifying, and we ran inside. And I remembered a man, a, a skeleton on a motorcycle out there. For years, I remembered that. We went into the house and we told our mother, there's a fireball in the back lot. And she just said, oh, that's nothing to worry about. Just sleep on the screened-in porch. 
which we did. What? Both my sister and I remembered that the same way. That's nothing to worry about. Okay. Anyway, uh, during the experience in the in the lot, I remember something pushing in my head, right? Pushing into my head like this. And then, of course, uh, the communion experience in uh, December of 85, a needle went into the side of my head. Then a couple of months later, me and my son and, and wife, Anne, all had needles go up our noses and we were left with polyps up in there. So I think it's possible that my brain was altered and we'll never know the answer to that question. However, I want to add this. I do not think that it's necessary to have these strange formations in your brain in order to have a close encounter experience. The reason is you go to Rice University and you look at the communion letters uh, archive and there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of letters. And this, these, for, for the people with the very dense material between the caudate and the putamen, that's rare. And in my case, I mean, here's a, neuro, a neurologist who's seen probably 100,000 MRI scans of brains in his life, maybe more, uh, says that what he sees in my brain is unique in his experience. That would mean to me that this is, this is incidental. I think it means probably that these people are better able to notice this experience than most of us. And I would also think that an awful lot of us have the close encounter experience in various forms without knowing it. Okay, now, so where is the government going to go? The government is going to go down a path of some kind. They're on a path. They are revealing things. They will go down that path as far as they dare. But at some point, there comes a turning on that path. And when you turn that corner, suddenly there is a question being asked by the media. What about the people, the men who had semen taken out of their bodies and the women who had eggs taken? It's already been shown in one of those reports that's been released, documents that's been released, that Unexpected pregnancies have been involved in this. I know uh, a family who had that happen. And the husband was absolutely furious, of course. It's <laughs> like St. Joseph. And and the wife um, had the baby. And she was, I haven't been in touch with him in a long time. She was a lovely young woman the last time I saw her. She must be in her 30s now. And she was very interested in math, but I've lost touch with them. So that's there. There are unexpected pregnancies happening. But what about the other end of it? What about the semen? What about the eggs? Where did they go? What was done with that? I mean, I feel that incredibly deeply because, excuse me, I have a that was my little part of the sacred. Another life, another human life was in that. Part of a half of another human life. 
Was it brought together with an egg of someone else? And was a child created? Or more than one? They could have created a thousand children that way, easily, from one man's semen. More. So, how is the government ever going to be able to say to us, the truth is, we knew it happened, and we couldn't do a single thing about it. They're going to work hard not to have to say that. You can be sure. You can be sure. You know, when I was on the communion tour years ago, I ended up in Dayton, of course. I mean, Wright-Pat was there. There's a lot of interest in communion among the uh, people at Wright-Pat and Air Force people. And I was still very much of an, very much considered an Air Force person then. My uncle had been in the Air Force and Air Force on the other side of my family too. So um, I was considered one of their own. Not only later after I wrote uh, a confirmation and said it was time for the Air Force to own up to what happened, did they, did they disown me? And they sort of did disown me then, I think. Um, in any case, I'm there. I'm signing books at a little bookstore in Dayton. All of a sudden, a couple of guys walk up and they show me a picture. Now, this is back in Kodak days. This is before digital photography. And what this picture shows is a suburban neighborhood. It's night. It's dark. So the houses are dark. And there's some street light. And there's a tree. And a very, very strange white light, almost chalk white, is shining down from above. And standing partly under the tree and partly in front of the tree are four or five very graceful little-looking little entities. They were what we call now greys. And they show me this picture. And they say, we just wanted you to see this. And... I say, can I keep it? And she's, he says, oh, no. We just wanted you to see it. And they leave. I think it was authentic. Why not? And another thing, what, a, what about the, uh, the uh, photographs that, um, that Gordon Cooper took at Edwards in 1957? He said he took the photographs himself of a UFO standing at the end of a runway and that they were sent on to Washington. Isn't it time for someone in the Congress to say, fellas, will you produce Gordon Cooper's photographs now? If they have not been lost or offloaded. You remember... Um, the first uh, of the Spielberg movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the way it ends. It's a huge warehouse and government warehouse full of all kinds of things that have been collected over the years. No one really knows what's in there. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant. Well, that could easily be the case. The U.S. government has collected as a collector par excellence and... Uh, They've collected so much stuff over the years that you don't know what they have and neither do they. 
Uh, there was a big fire, though, at a facility in uh, St. Louis in 1977, right around the time the Freedom of Information Act was became law. And a lot of classified information went up in flames there. And for example, when uh, it, it, the uh, Congressman Stephen Schiff of New Mexico got the General Accounting Office to look into the Roswell incident, it was discovered that every single bit of information officially, even paperclip requisitions from the Roswell Army Airfield from 1947 through 1952 had disappeared completely, illegally disappeared. And why is it this, why is it incidentally that you hear the Navy departments out there, the Navy department, this, naval videos, naval pilots, naval officers, some of whom have come on Dreamland, of course, um, and other shows, but never Air Force, never Air Force. Air Force is just mentioned just briefly in passing in the, in the hearing, just very briefly touched on it. Um, and the reason is quite simple. It's this. It, I mean, this is, I'm not telling you any, any ex-Catholic thing. I mean, it's just logical that they cannot protect us from this threat from the skies. And it's a very major threat because what is it, it has done is taken eggs and it's taken semen and it has done things to people. It has done terrible things to people in some cases. And this is real. It's not fake. It's not fake. It gets me, my dander up when people like this Green Street character in the New York Post do one of these old-fashioned debunking numbers where they try to uh, denigrate by association. <laughs> and it's, it's just, it's over, guys. It's over. It's finally time to start looking down this rabbit hole and thinking to ourselves, wait a minute, there actually is a rabbit in there. Whoa, what are we going to do? So um, that, that, that's the reality of it. And it's time for science and especially the academic world to start looking into this in a serious way. Very few academics. My friend Jeff Kripal is one of the few. Diana Pasolka is another one. A uh, few others who are looking at UFOs and the paranormal a little bit more seriously because the two are in. Green Street's right about that in one respect. The two are interconnected. There is a definite connection. And when I I'm going to talk in about five minutes when I start blathering on about this stuff, I'm going to start talking about my uh, my the experiences I've had recently. And you're going to see the connection because it's there. It's just like the connection with the dead. They don't want that to be true. They want this to be nuts and bolts, aliens from another planet, a hatch opens, they come out, and they turn out to have really cool cell phones. Uh-uh. This is about something those guys mostly don't even believe in, which is the human soul. That's what it's all about. It's about our souls and if you pretend you don't have a soul or you live with this pretending you don't have a soul, it is, you know what it's like? It's like going out in the streets naked because if you don't understand the needs of your soul and how it needs to be fed 
and how it needs to be protected. You, in this context, in the close encounter experience in the UFO world, you are stark buck naked, naked and helpless. And that's what Jesus' new vision is all about. Jesus' new vision is about putting on the clothes of the good so that you're not naked, so that your soul has an imp a level of empowerment. It is lighter and more independent than the soul of a person who ignores the, 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 the who ignores the most fundamental admonition in the world, which is know thyself. If you don't go down that road, you're wasting your life. And and don't worry, you know one of the things that happens has happened to us is we have these religions who are always telling us, trying to get power over us by telling us all these things, the little mistakes we made are evil. I remember when I was a little boy, you had these booklets from that they would give you so that you could confess, uh, spoke harshly to my mother, 10,000 years in purgatory, uh, defied a nun a million years in purgatory or something, you know. Yeah, so you, so uh, they made it out like those innocent acts were seriously evil. When the truth of the matter is, the moment you die, most of that stuff just falls off you. Because being evil is hard. You have to work at it to be evil. You have to build up a lot of negative karma. And of course, there are people who do it, doing it every day. There are people who are su succeeding at that. We're going to talk about them in a very profound way in just a second. Because they are a big part of the good, the evil, and the innocent are a big part of what's probably about to happen here, or what may be about to happen here. Of course, I look back on these words 20 years from now, assuming I'm still creeping along. And think, boy, he was he was a little bit over the top then, but you know, it, it, we 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 all expect something to happen tomorrow because it didn't happen today. Anyway, let's go on now. The hearings have pointed in one important direction. They've sent a message out: let's stop laughing about flying saucers. Let's remove the stigma about reporting them. And this is going to mean that a lot of people in the military, and the military has a lot of this experience, uh, and a lot of them are good people, are going to come forward, the ones who haven't signed agreements. And there, there's another thing, that an amnesty about signing these agreements, uh, these non-disclosure agreements, not necessarily uh, people with security clearances, but people who were saw something or experienced something very unusual and then were asked by the uh, uh, official world to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Maybe they're going to be released en masse from those non-disclosure agreements and we'll see more. Let's hope that happens. Okay, now let's go to Thursday, I believe it was Thursday, April the 21st. I'm going to be looking at my calendar as I talk. Uh, and it was a uh, Thursday, yeah, April the 21st, I went swimming. That's a 
something I do practically two or three times a week. I go really early in the morning. We have a lovely pool here at the at the Y. Uh, uh, there's a pool also, the city pool, but I prefer the Y. So that's where I go. And I came back from swimming, and when I left the house, I, the uh, Wi-Fi was off for the first time in a long time because I was the router was not working correctly, and I was going to get a new router. And I didn't know quite what was wrong, but I would prefer not to end up having my house burned down by a defective router. So it was turned off. It's very significant that this someone knew this because how did they know it? And they did know. I came back from swimming and there were a bunch of drawers open. Drawers were open that hadn't been open. A couple of drawers. I left that door open because the drawers in that, in that cabinet, you can just see back there, were open. And some of them were drawers I don't ever open because there's nothing in them. So I thought, my God, somebody's been in here. I looked around. I had the cops come. The cops said, well, you know, nothing was taken and there's no entry point. No, there's nothing, no break in. So there's nothing we can do. And uh, they left and I was left this feeling very vulnerable. I got the new router and got it turned on and, uh, you know, uh, went about my life. Until that Saturday. Oh, wait a minute. I want to circle back now before we get to the Saturday. To the weekend before this, I was in Texas with friends. Friends I've known for most of our lives. And I stay with them frequently when I'm in Texas. And something ha things happen in their house. Uh, not to them generally. I think one of them has had one small experience in their life but not um, not to them, but they happened to me. And the following thing happened to me. You may remember in communion, uh, Anne talks about the white thing. Back in 1984, I believe, before we even published communion or any of the stuff even happened as far as we were concerned, there was something called the white thing that showed up in our apartment in Manhattan. It was like a white blur kind of, kind of chalky, greasy white. And it, it woke Anne up by poking her in the chest. And then it terrified our little boy by poking him. He was only about five. Then it, it woke me up by poking me. But then, then we went out to a party one afternoon to a wedding reception. And uh, the babysitter called all hysterical saying we had to come home that there was something wrong. And so, of course, we were absolutely terrified. We jumped in a cab and went racing home to find her there with her mother in a state and our little boy quietly playing in his room. And she was in a state of collapse because she'd seen something which she described as a child uh, wearing a white uh, sheet over their heads standing on the fire escape and it was terribly scary to her and her mother was trying to comfort her oh it was just kids and Anne and i just looked at each other and, you know I, I said something intended to make light of it casper the unfriendly ghost and 
anyway, that babysitter wrapped up her relationship with us. She never came back because she knew what she'd seen, of course, and it was nothing explainable. All right, now go forward to a couple weeks ago. I am, I sleep in a bedroom downstairs in the basement, and it's pretty isolated. You go down a stairway, and then it's there, and it opens out onto the backyard. It's a very nice room, actually. Uh, it doesn't, there's no doors, but the windows open into the backyard. And I'm, I'm not a big light person. I, I, at night, I always just leave the lights off generally. And, uh, I was, um, it was dark and I changed into my pajamas and all of a sudden I saw a familiar form against the floor. This white blur was moving there. And I thought, is that my eyes? And I realized, of course, it's not your eyes, you fool. It's the white thing's back after all these years. And it was pretty ominous, that thing. Pretty ominous. So I uh, <laughs> I thought, well, that's all I need. And I did my meditation. Because this is now, you know, I would have been, it would have shocked the hell out of me all those years ago. But a lot happens in my life. This happens, things like this happen routinely. So I wasn't too concerned. I did my meditation and went to bed. The next thing I knew, I had the most terrifying dream I can remember having in a long time. I was walking down the street here in California, and it suddenly became dark, as if night had fallen during the day. And I was given to understand that time had stopped. This was the end of time. And I kept walking, so obviously it wasn't the end of time, but that was in the dream. And I went to the place where I pick up my mail, and there was this huge white truck in the parking, one of the parking spaces. And in the truck was someone dressed up like the, the, the monster in the Scream movies. And I understood that this moment that time had stopped meant that souls would no longer be able to change and the good would ascend, the evil would drop down and the strong and gentle would inherit the, the earth and it would all be over in a matter of minutes. The strong but gentle, the meek will inherit the earth that's in, in Jesus and New Vision, they're called the strong but gentle. Because if you look at the original uh, wording, that's what it actually says. So that was the end of the world that, that I saw. The good ascended. And remember, that's probably you. It's most of us. And don't worry about the fact that you stole a hot dog. <laughs> when you were 14 or whatever you did or divorced your wife or cheated on your husband or whatever you did. As long as you didn't do something really big, like deprive another soul of its body, like murder, something like that, you're, you're going to be fine. Um, and, and, and if you're like a dictator or a, a thief or a, murderer and you know mass murder or something you're gonna very definitely be not fine at a moment like that 
Anyway, most of us will ascend depending on the energy that we've gathered into our souls in our lives. And uh, we will end up in, in inquires of people who are probably very much like the visitors wanting to be able to make another journey through time in a nice, dense body that will provide all of that luxurious sensation, feelings, emotions, the taste of ice cream, the smell of the grass on a summer morning, the scent of roses, all of those things we will be waiting and the strong but gentle will remain here, working day and night. Speaking of mitigation, to mitigate the damage to the earth. That was this vision almost. It was a, more than a dream. It was a visionary dream. And it ended and I woke up and I thought, well, that's definitely one for the nightmare book. And I thought, I wonder if that white thing had anything to do with it. And immediately I saw it again, just fleetingly. And I thought, well, it's pretty scary. And then I heard in the backyard this voice go, <laughs> and I thought, there was a time when I would have jumped out of my skin and run upstairs and just gone berserk. What I actually did this time was I went went to bed and went to sleep. I didn't even bother to close the windows or anything. Because I understand this on a different level. This was not going to happen. It was an expression of an inner state of mind that synchronized to an outer condition that to us we would call paranormal, but is actually part of nature that we don't understand and part of maybe of the Earth's disquiet about what's happening to it. Does it mean that I'm predicting the end of the world? Well, everybody should be able to predict the end of the world successfully because it's going to happen one of these days, right? We just don't get the date right usually. Any case, so that happens. I come back. I have the experience of someone coming into the apartment with a key, and I have the keys changed every about every year. And this was a new key. They came in. They did not break in. They came in the key. Now, the policeman told me that it took, takes 90 seconds for someone to make a key with the kind of lock that I had. In other words, the lock was, he said, you really weren't, your door wasn't locked. The only person who needed the key was you. So anyway, that happened. Now let's go to the next Saturday. I'm sitting in a park. I'm with friends. Our kids are playing and we're chatting. And My mind is a thousand miles away from my website. When all of a sudden, a powerful, not voice exactly, but an urge comes into me. You got to look at the site, Whitley. So I get my phone. I open my phone. I go in, go into the back end of the site. And what do I see? My own admin username is being used by someone who's trying to brute force the password. I mean, talk about a, 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 an exercise of futility. 
My password is so long and complicated, I couldn't even begin to memorize it myself. But in any case, then they go to others, other names, uh, uh, and down the list. And I get in touch with the webmaster and I said, somebody's trying to break into the site. They're brute forcing the site. And so we go to town, we start blocking the, uh, the uh, IP addresses they're on and closing down the site's accessibility from more countries than it's already inaccessible from because there's lots of countries, I don't necessarily name, name them, where there's a lot of hacking goes on, comes from. And we don't let those people even get on our site. So uh, we get it somewhat stabilized. And then I immediately, I want to go back home. Uh, I was with some friends and my, my computer was at their house. And I say, I want to go back to your place and uh, I'm going to look at my site on the computer because we've had a little attempted attempted intrusion on the site. So I go and but by this time, the webmaster working from the back end has created a new set of usernames and passwords. They have never been used before. He texts me mine on Signal, on the Signal app. So I have it. I open my laptop. I go to the site. I input the brand new username and password. And instantly, whoever was trying to hack the site is in using that brand new username and password. Okay, now there's two things to stack up here. First is, why would it be that somebody would know just the little window of time in which the Wi-Fi wasn't on and therefore not the cameras to come in here? What they did when they were in here wasn't nothing. They obviously put a keylogger on that computer, which has now been trashed. I don't use it anymore. Obviously. And, but they anticipated this whole string of events very clearly. There's something way off about that. That's not even intelligence community type of stuff. That's the kind of thing that can be done by someone who can read your mind. I only know one group of people who can do that. And so I was at this point pretty scared. Now I will, I want to emphasize something to those of you who are thinking, oh my God, my credit card. Uh, none of your credit card information is kept on unknowncountry.com. Unknowncountry.com is a target. And therefore, all of that information is on bank-level security in another company entirely on a different server. And when you are inputting credit card information or PayPal information on the site, you are literally not really on the site. You're on a form that is on their site. So it's never touches our our site. And so you have nothing whatsoever to worry about. So please don't go cancel your subscription because you think the site's insecure. It, it's not at all. And we've, we've taken steps to improve the security too, just recently, as you may imagine. And it's, it's, it's very hard now. And the only way they got through the last time was by getting into this house, which was more vulnerable than it should have been, and, uh, and, and choosing a moment when they could do so. Now, that said, um, 
such moments have passed in this house. I have beefed up the security massively, massively. And it's not going to be so easy to get in here ever again. Okay. Now, that all happens. Now I go to a UFO convention, to the McMinnville UFO convention, which incidentally was wonderful fun. There was a parade. At first, it was extremely well attended. There were hundreds and hundreds of people at the, at the, at the, at the talks. Very different picture from what has happened in the recent past when we've been so decimated by COVID. I mean, not died off, but I mean, you know, people don't like to go so much on Zoom and stuff. And, uh, and, they, and then they were scared to go to conferences. But now that's changing, thank God. And I hope it stays changed. Anyway, it was a wonderful conference. There's a parade at this conference, like the one at the Roswell UFO Festival. And um, I was in it. They had security for me, thank, thank, thankfully, because of the fact that um, all this other stuff had happened. and There was a personal level to it. You know, someone had entered this apartment and um, some of the people who were advising me said you you should have personal security if you're if you're noticeable in a public place and uh, you know it's too bad <laughs> masks are gone now I hate masks now I would love to be wearing one in any case um, <clears throat> um, go to the UFO convention I give my talk and that night that's just past Sunday night the most extraordinary thing happens. I do not see UFOs. I've seen a few in my life. I've been in them. Anne used to joke, you've been in more UFOs than you've seen. And that that's not true, I don't think. But uh, I have been in them, that's for sure. In any case, uh, I'm in my hotel. And you understand, McMinnville is a small town. And this hotel was outside of town. It wasn't downtown. And... It, my room looked out on a little suburb of, you know, four or five houses, and then beyond that, some open fields. And I'm looking out the window. It's night now, and I'm very tired and getting ready to go to bed. And I see this beautiful red light pulsating gently, moving across the sky very slowly. And I think, is that a drone? I watch it. It moves across the sky circles, and then gets smaller and smaller. I couldn't tell whether it was going away or getting dimmer. It was gone. The last time I saw a UFO, I was with my friend Timothy Greenfield Saunders years ago. We were at Gulf Breeze doing an article for Life magazine that never was published. Uh, and we saw a UFO just like that, the same beautiful color. And he took pictures of it, of course, for the magazine. And I, he may even still have them. And if he does, I'll get them and put them up on the site somewhere. In any case, uh, the magazine wouldn't publish the story because they expected us to say, and we went all over the country to these famous sites where UFOs are seen, and we didn't see a thing. Ha, ha, ha. Instead, we said, we got a great UFO photo. So they wouldn't they wouldn't publish it. They said our our readers would not appreciate this. How I hope times have changed. Anyway, so I see a UFO and I'm thinking to myself, is this a drone or a UFO? And the answer is now I don't know. I can't tell. 
although I think the odds are it was not a drone. Uh, it was it was probably a UFO, and I'll tell you why I think that in a minute. What happened next was part of the reason I think that. I went to sleep, and I ended up in this incredibly vivid dream with these with greys, and they were talking about taking me to another world and bringing me back again. And you know, I if that's going to happen. I hope they know what they're doing because I'm not, I'm no spring chicken anymore, you know. So in any case. It was very vivid, and it went on for a long time. I probably dreamed for at least half an hour, 45 minutes. Oh, this was after the meditation. I always do the... And then I got up, and I did the 3 a.m. meditation. And uh, after the dream was over, and I contemplated the dream, thought about it. And then the next, then I, next morning, I flew home. The next evening, I had the most extraordinary experience of what I can only describe as a telepathic exchange with these people, with somebody. And it was real. It was like a very, very obvious. And it was about, again, about taking this journey and what I would do and where we would start from and all of this stuff. I was fascinated by it, but not, not, not convinced. I'm not going to tell you, I've been told I'm going to another world. Goodbye. Nice knowing you. Because uh, that's people have been doing that. They've been pulled into doing that one too many times. If it happens, it happens. But I don't have any evidence that it is going to happen. And I'm certainly not going to say that it's going to happen to me. And if it does happen to me, I hope two things. One is that I come back alive and that I've got something to show for it. Uh, because if I if that happened to me and I came back and I had no evidence, I would just keep my lip zipped. I wouldn't bother. But it's time anyway for this to take a massive leap forward. And and that would actually work because I don't know too many people who are who are gonna be able to handle an experience like that. And I think that what happened at the friend's house might have been a test of my ability to handle my fears and if so, I definitely did pass that test. So, anyway, we went on. The tel telepathy went on for about an hour. Quite detailed discussion about what I would need to do and who might come with me and things like that. And I did after the meditation. I went went to bed and. Did again, woke up for the three o'clock meditation. The telepathy did not return. Went to bed. And I thought long and hard about it, but I eventually fell asleep. And um, the next morning, I opened my email and found this. This email I'm going to read. You talk about flooring somebody. This floored me. It's, let me t tell you, it's from a psychic who has been studied extensively in many laboratories. She's well known in the world of, of, of scientists, scientists who study this kind of phenomenon. And I'm not going to say her name because I did not say I was going to read this. 
And I'm sure she wouldn't want her name used anywhere nor too well. So any case, here is what was in my email. I hope all is well. I just woke up from a very vivid dream about you. You were communicating with a telepathic jellyfish that was floating in the sky above you. You didn't know that was who you were talking to. You thought you were chatting with a blue elf sitting in your living room. Best wishes and stay safe. I was really very surprised because I had had a telepathic communication the night before, the, the evening before the letter came in. And it was communicated, that fact was communicated with this to this psychic. Did I have a communication with a, a, a telepathic jellyfish? I suspect not, but I have to admit, I hope so. It would be such a fascinatingly strange thing to have happen. Um, and, you know, the white thing is very amorphous. It, it, and I did think I was having a telepathy with the greys and, and, and the ones in the blue uniforms. Yes, I did think that. So clearly I was having a real telep telepathy with somebody because it's just not possible that this email would show up the next morning out of nowhere. And now another friend of mine who is not an experiencer, but who is very important in this field, sent me an email with no idea that I had gotten this saying that she had gotten, just gotten an, a letter from another psychic that stated that, uh, she had been, she felt that this, this person was going to get into contact soon. And it was an ominous, there was an ominous feeling to it. So something is happening. You have the congressional hearing, you have a change in the uh, the whole tone of the world's response to this thing, and you have what the visitors said so long ago, that when the planet's decline becomes unstoppable is when we will show up. And I mean, we can't know whether that's happened now or not, because we don't have the scientific knowledge but they probably do. And if it has happened, then they're going to show up. And does it have, they, will it have anything to do with me? Quite possibly. It's not impossible. I am reasonably capable of handling this wild stuff. I say reasonably capable of handling it because I would not say I'm well capable at all. I don't think anybody is, but I would try. I would try. And that's where I'm going to end this. I just want to make sure that this is part of the record. I'm going to put it up as a dreamland this week. And I would urge all of you who don't subscribe to support the site because it's not about just about getting more stuff. And you look at it and you say, oh, well, I don't really need that. It's about making the site itself happen, about supporting the site. Because without that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go down the tubes. This would be a very bad time for that to happen. Believe me, 
You have no idea what, what I mean when I say that. This website is going to become crucially important if the visitors start to show up. All of the websites that cater to experiencers are going to be very important. And this one is among them. And it's my website. And I don't think there's anybody else, certainly not in a public space, who's handling this with the degree of care and effort that I put into it and with a level of objectivity. I mean, you don't hear me saying that a, an alien from some planet has taught me this and taught me that and now I'm communicating that to you, et cetera, and so forth. I have a more sophisticated approach and a more realistic approach. There could be big changes on the way, I think. I really do think so. What form they'll take, I, that I don't know. But they're coming, coming down the road right at us right now. We'll go back to the normal format next week. We've got a lot of cool shows uh, coming up. Paul Sinclair is going to be with us again soon. He's always a wonderful one. A man named Charles Upton, who is a, a Muslim and a Sufi, and looks at this from the perspective of the of the Muslim idea of the jinn, uh, the genies and the jinn uh, is going to be with us. And we're going to keep on exploring down the road, doing our thing. And we will, as long as that road may or may not be, we will go down it until the very end. And I want to thank you for being with me this weekend. And if you're interested in joining us, I do come to the uh, weekly uh, chat room. It's a lot of fun on Wednesday nights at 7 Pacific time. And uh, there's Zoom meetings. There We won't have too many over the course of the summer because we generally don't because people are busy. I mean, you know, they're, they're not going to be going to a Zoom meeting in uh, on a Saturday morning in the middle of the summer. So anyway, there's a lot of good stuff here. A lot of good stuff. Do come and join us. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.